Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Hello listeners and thanks for joining today's podcast with Kira Pendergast, Cyber Safety, What You Need to Know. In today's digital world, we are now more connected than ever. Being constantly accessible brings with it a great deal of positives. But when it comes to bullying, this also means being inescapable. As a public speaker and educator, Kira Pendergast has presented to more than 400,000 students, teachers and parents at schools across Australia and New Zealand educating people and consulting organisations on the safe use of social media. She has presented at countless legal seminars, government and business events, conferences and business staff professional learning and wellbeing sessions. In 2009, Kira founded Australia's first consulting company, focusing solely on social media security, privacy and risk management, completing social media risk reviews for organisations ranging from 5 to over 12,000 employees. In 2014, after experiencing serious and relentless cyberbullying and trolling, Kira was inspired to create Safe on Social Media, a training and development business that now helps thousands of users to stay safe on social media. Her experience helped her understand in detail what victims of cyberbullying are exposed to. Tune in to hear Kira speak about her online experience and the measures of cyber safety that need to be considered to reduce risk and secure safety and privacy when online. All right, Kira, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for joining me. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, So, Kira, tell us a little bit about you and your background. Uh, Long, sordid history in the IT industry. Uh, I started in IT in Sydney back in 1991, um, spent years working at state director level in IT and business consulting and my focus and love had always been cyber security so that was the space that I sat in the most I guess. That was in the IT space? Yeah. Yep and so you're working for corporates then? Yes so I worked for a lot of big corporates. I ran a company called Verisign which owned .com and .net and brought encryption technology into Australia. I worked for them for many years. I worked for the joint venture between Microsoft and Accenture um, CGI Logica and Capgemini was my last big corporate job where I was their state director in Queensland. So you went from Sydney, moved up to Brisbane? No, I I did yes, start in Sydney. I was only okay. there for a year or so and then moved to Brisbane so I could be closer to home, which is Byron, yeah. Okay. Byron's where your family's from? Yep, fourth generation. Home, homegrown. Homegrown, yeah. And you're lucky uh, to still be able to live here today? Yeah, or move back, yeah. By default, but yes. <laughs> How's isolation been uh, living in such a beautiful spot? Oh, I haven't noticed, to be honest. So I've actually enjoyed the time and I do a lot of my work remotely via webinars anyway, so it hasn't been a massive change for me. The only thing that I obviously haven't been doing is my face-to-face work in schools. Yeah. So if we if we get to that, so obviously at the, at the your last corporate gig finished, what, around what year are we talking? 2009. Okay, so 2009, and then then what did you do then? Um, I was actually, just prior to that, in the early 2000s, when Peter Beattie was still in power in Queensland, he'd asked me to be involved in what was called the e-security industry cluster committee up there. So because there was so few women in cybersecurity, there was me, uh, a lady called Robin Bailey, who's very highly regarded um, technical engineer in cybersecurity, and another lady called Caroline Allenson, who was the head of information security for Queensland Police. And we all thought she was terrifying, but she was the nicest lady on earth once I got to know her. So there was only the three of us 
that were women in senior roles in cybersecurity. So I had a lot of exposure to very senior Queensland government bureaucrats and I'd been asked to speak at the CIO's council for Queensland's meeting in, in late 2009, just as I was leaving Capgemini, and to talk to them about this new thing called Facebook and whether the government should be using it or not when I flat out said no, <laughs> run yeah. a mile from that. But it just went crazy after that. So, so you're giving talks on that uh, to government? Yes. And then, uh, and then what happened then? I was asked to do a um, – what was – I've always called an e-safety risk review or a social media audit, so to speak, for um, the Princess Alexandra Hospital to see how staff were interacting with platforms and what they needed to do to make it a whole lot more safer for their staff to use social media. So I, I did that and then um, that was a very big program of work that included training and policy writing and things like that. Um, I had around the same or just shortly after that, I had a, a massive fallout with a business associate who bullied me so badly online I didn't leave my house for three months and that's how Safe on Social sort of started from that. Yeah, so uh, so you have a personal experience, lived experience with yeah. uh, some some serious bullying online yeah. and, and you've seen firsthand the damage that that can do. Oh, yeah. Um, without going into too much detail, I mean the sorts of dangers that are out there for adults, mm-hmm. <clears throat> do you just want to touch on a bit of that? Yeah, I think for, for adults, the biggest thing and I, what I found is I had no one to talk to. No one really understood what was actually going on. And so I bottled a whole lot of it up and it made me really, really sick. Um, I ended up in a wheelchair. I couldn't walk. I had My body was just riddled with autoimmune arthritis that came on like a freight train during all of that trauma because I just couldn't talk to anyone. I was, you know, I just split with my partner my parents are in their 70s. They just didn't understand the world that I was in. I didn't want to burden my friends with it again, you know, to hear this sort of stuff over and over and over again. I couldn't speak to a psychologist because there wasn't any that specialised in, in this space. So it was, uh, you know, just one of those things that I had to either pull myself out of it or um, I was just slowly going under. And I think that that is the biggest problem for adults is there's really no one to talk to. And so I have had, even in my parent presentations, mothers and fathers walk up to me and say, I'm experiencing really serious cyberbullying right now through work or whatever and burst into tears and they often just call me. So, yeah. yeah. And is that still the case, do you feel, out there at the moment? Like is there anything out there at the moment that is, um, you know, where adults can reach out to? Well, now it's a corporate responsibility of an employer. So bullying online or off is the responsibility of an employer. So there is opportunities for adults to escalate that through HR and like they would normal bullying in the workplace. But when it's outside of the workplace, say in a situation like we've all seen it, there can be some community pages on on Facebook that become really toxic and people attack each other. And people don't know how to process that attack that they may have never experienced. So it's there's a few things that can be done. There's not a whole lot of places for people to talk to. There is a massive gaping hole in, you know, psychology practice and things like that. There's a few people out there that do this, but not many. And I think because of that intersection between online life and well-being is not being fully explored yet, that there's still a whole lot of work to do. Yeah, so so you so your own uh, what year was this with your own personal experience that with was cyberbullying? 2014. 2014. Yeah. So after your own personal experience with that and the damage that you saw firsthand mm. that it can do to a person and these are quite seriously debilitating yeah. impacts right on on your livelihood. Yeah. Um, you mentioned you didn't even go outside for a few months. No, I didn't go outside for 3 months. I was so fearful because I didn't understand the law then, Sam. So I was just getting bombarded by somebody that I respected in business and I thought she was a whole lot smarter than me and there was a whole lot of fear around that. And so I um, just retreated. I was too scared to go to a cafe in case I ran into her or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And there was a lot of defamation happening about me and so there was a lot of opinion flying around. It was that classic 
because we both lived in the same area at the time. So it was that, you know, who's thinking what and just didn't want to deal. And that happens a lot in small communities, unfortunately. So, yeah. Yeah, so so, so then uh, you found out – so as a result of that experience, mm-hmm. tell us what what you did and, and how it changed what you were up to. Well, my experience, unfortunately, she had um, been very – it's a hard one to, to frame it so people understand, but because there's some ways that you can do some really covert bullying was happening. So hiding behind hashtags, for example. Yes. At one stage I had a screenshot that was saying some pretty horrendous, horrendous stuff and it was a direct threat on my life. I took a screenshot of that to the local courthouse to try and get an AVO taken out. The judge called it journalistic and threw it out because it was on Facebook because there was no law then in 2014. So things have changed dramatically over the last few years. We've had the e-safety commissioner's office appear in July 2015, even though they aren't fully responsible for adult bullying. They do a lot with children. There is some assistance that they they can help with there in some cases. But because of that, law changes in New South Wales and Queensland didn't have specific laws that focused in on cyber bullying, but now it's just bullying full stop and it's dubbed Dolly's Law, named after Dolly Everett. So there's laws in place now where you can you can get an AVO for, for digital harm or online bullying. You can, um, if the person breaches that, they can do up to five years jail. And is that state by state? Because you yes. mentioned states. It's state by state. There's an overarching law, federal law, section 474.17 uh, and 474.15 are to menace, harass, cause offence and to make threats and things online, like or using what they, the legal term is using a carriage service to make a threat. So a carriage service is the the internet in legal speak. So those federal laws were all we had for a long time. And a lot of people didn't press charges under those because one, they didn't know that they existed and local police aren't necessarily trained in this space. So a general duties police officer probably wouldn't understand a huge amount about cyber security, cyber safety and the law surrounding that. So they would pull in New South Wales computer crime or Queensland computer crime or whoever. So there is a bit of a, it's different in each state. And there's a couple of states like Western Australia still doesn't have a cyberbullying law, so to speak. And as a result of that, are you seeing, is there, I mean, there's probably no real hard facts on it all, but I mean, do you see that as a result of the law changes in some states that there are people, more people are willing to be coming forward? About yeah, I, what I am seeing more is people being um, sued for defamation. So there's like there's a very fine line and there's been a couple of really big cases in that, that space. So, you know, the defamation thing comes up a lot because that's civil. You have to have a lot of money to hire a lawyer to do that. But I haven't seen too many criminal cases as yet because the new laws have only been in place since October 2018. Okay. Defamation of character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big time. So, so if they're in a public forum on Facebook, for instance. Yes. And someone posts something about don't go to this shop. Yes. Because this person did something to me or they're not like, not nice or something, mm-hmm. they legally can – is it that person that can be done for defamation or the actual admin person of the pay? Both. Both. Both people equally responsible? Correct. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. More than likely it's going to be the person that said it, but if the admin hasn't made a solid effort to get rid of it and, and shut that down, they could be held liable as well. Australia, it's immediate. New Zealand, they have a 48-hour um, safe harbour clause. So they've got 48 hours to remove the post and nothing will happen. Here you're a screenshot away from a defamation case. Wow. Yeah. And uh, we see it often. Yeah. Way more than people think. The standout case has been um, Principal Tracy Bros from Mount Tambourine High School on the Gold Coast, she originally sued eight families for $150,000 each for defamation and four of them responded to cease and, desist, cease and desist letters and withdrew their comments and made a public apology. Four didn't. They're all bankrupt now. It's still going through court. So they said something about that principle? Yeah, they called that- a judge, jury and executioner and not a good one at that, that she only favoured straight-A students and not the norm of education. Okay. It's been all over the Courier-Mail. So, so they took that, um, obviously they're kids at that school, so they took mm-hmm. that online and took it out of their own Correct. 
uh, on their own case to say, well, this is what this person's done. Yeah, which is not okay. It's no. not okay at all. If you've got a gripe with someone, pick up the phone, have a conversation with them or, or go the legal route. Don't. I think there's a whole generation now that are so used to just posting something online without thought. Instantly with what they feel. And they don't understand what it can do to a person. If you see someone making a comment like that about you, like firsthand experience that I've had, it's yeah. like words are like knives. They st- you just cannot unsee it and the thing is that stuff is instant so when it gets put on those platforms yeah people friends of friends i mean it's available there for a lot of people to see and then you have like i have a file of more than a thousand screenshots from during my case and most of them are because people like even though i'd blocked my bully on every platform possible and at one stage there was two of them colluding together um i'd block them on every every platform possible, but like I'd go through this huge process at night to get to sleep and at about 11 o'clock I'd get a text message with a screenshot with a friend saying, hey, have you seen this? You know, so you can't escape it. It doesn't stop. Nah, I was always the person that used to say, I'll just block it, delete it, ignore it. You just can't. It's relentless. So, so it's it's. I mean, it's progressive then in the sense that there are some laws now in place, mm-hmm. uh, and police can actually do something about this now. Yes, they can, and you can report it through Crime Stoppers, as well. So, okay, what's well, so that's depending re- on where you live. Yeah. Okay, so that's really good. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then so as far as the education goes for for adults, what what sort of awareness is out there that can help? Um, help give them the tools or is there anything out there that they can go to to get some more um, more information about this stuff? Well, I can it- totally plug my <laughs> my parent program. Um, I do a lot of training through video, through online content and everything in partnership with the Mamma Mia network. There's those things. There's the eSafety Commissioner's Office. There's, um, there's a lot of resources out there now. It's just the hard part for people is there's a lot that you have to dig through because it's huge. It's like biting off the mother load. You know, I, I yeah. have a team that work for me that all they do is research stuff. Yeah. They're just constantly researching changes and writing about those because we have to keep one step ahead at all times. And there's so many platforms out there now. So many platforms, yeah. So I think there's still the majors like Facebook. We call that the heartbeat of the internet. There's 2.3 billion people on it. So it's the big connector of everyone. Size-wise, that's now followed by a new app called TikTok, which is on track to actually become bigger than Facebook. It's the one where they're making little dance videos that used to be called Musical.ly and it's gone wild during ISO, you know. So TikTok's up to about 1.5 billion users. Wow. Mm. How many years has that been around for? Mm, one and a half. Wow. Not even. Jeez, that goes quick. Crazy. It was musically, but it was bought by a big Chinese firm called ByteDance and it just went completely nuts. Crazy popular with kids and with adults. So there's those two, then Snapchat and Instagram are the other two big ones. YouTube, obviously. But I think people forget that social media extends to things like eBay and anywhere where you can have a username and interact with somebody else online is considered social media in a, in a legal context. So even making a comment on a newspaper article, you know, things like that can be considered. Against a journalist, you mean? or yeah, against yeah. The, all of uh, that. The, yeah, right. Yeah, or like journalists know that there was another court case about probably about 18 months, two years ago now, a young man called Dylan Voller. A lot of people remember that name because Dylan was the young Aboriginal man that was beaten really badly in the Dondale Detention Centre in the Territory and sparked a Royal Commission into the treatment of Aboriginal boys in particular in these detention centres up there. So Dylan's an Aboriginal rights activist and he was protesting at the Commonwealth Games on the Gold Coast and a few major... um, press organisations like um, Sky News, The Australian, The Bolt Report and a few others had links on their Facebook pages to articles that they'd written about Dylan. A lot of it was defamatory, the content in there about how he'd abused prison guards and all of these kinds of things. And so instead of suing for the actual story, Dylan sued for the thousands of comments that were made underneath by third parties and won. So he was successful. So 
now the media knows that if you're the administrator of any social media platform, you are 100% responsible for every comment on it, even the ones that aren't your own. So they will tend to respond very, very quickly if something has gone up. Like there was an article about me put up recently by a local media outlet. There was a comment underneath it because it was around the COVID app and someone wrote, ha ha, you know, as if we'd believe somebody from Byron Bay. And I won't say the context of what was actually said in that, but um, it was just blatant. And, you know, I rang the article, the newspaper and said, really? And they took it down within minutes. So they know that they have to do that now. Yeah. Because of that case. Okay. So that responsibility falls on them. Huge. If if we look at like ones like TikTok, because I have uh, um, I have heard a lot about TikTok, but is it not is it a publishing site where people can publish their own material? But are you saying that people can still comment on these things? Is that is that how the bullying can can come into it as well? Yeah, it's it's short form video content, and the context of the bullying that we see from that is kids um, screen recording it or recording it from another device to another, making comment, making judgment on the uh, on the other child's TikTok or that they're not very good or rating uh, them on how their physical appearance is. Uh, all of that kind of stuff comes into and it. And then resharing on that platform or on, on, on others. Own? Wow, really? Yeah, because you can share it onto Instagram and Snapchat and everywhere else, yeah. Gee. The cross-platform stuff is where it gets particularly nasty and tricky. Yeah, and then you've got the, like the Snapchats as well, which I guess people can just record that somehow well you can't well. screenshot snapchat but you know interestingly enough because i always advise kids in my talk to hold their device in one hand if they're getting bullied on snapchat and use somebody else's device to record it out of shot so they can just they can still see it but the people that they're yeah. screenshotting can't because on snapchat if you take a screenshot it notifies the person that they've just been screenshot and same uh. with instagram messages so it has to be recorded from another device. So I've been uh. in schools where I had I had one girl who was in year seven come up after one of my sessions and show me 16 minutes of bullying towards her that she'd recorded on Snapchat. Wow. Yeah. If we go then, if we go then, so from your experience uh, as an adult and, and being mm-hmm. bullied online, <clears throat> as a result of that, you've now shifted your attention. Um, I didn't know you had the adult platform as well. Uh, but tell me about what made you want to go in the direction of the kids? Because I, I think, I mean, I understand that's where you play mostly at the moment. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing a lot of that. I'm moving more towards working with adults, but I still work with children in a number of schools across Australia, quite a few hundred actually. But um, Yeah, how did that come about? That came about because of, to be blunt, out of necessity. While I was going through court over the bullying and things like that because it ended up in, in court, Um there was, you know, defamation and injunctions and things being thrown around. Um, I'd worked with the Queensland government for 25 years at that point and then there was a lot of stuff happening that I couldn't. And I didn't have the mental strength at that time to take on big corporate clients because they're intense, you know, they're really big programs of work. And so I, um, I literally woke up one morning after a particularly devastating and and you know I'll, I'll tell you the whole story I actually drove my car down to the headland not too far from my house and I was sitting in my car yeah. contemplating the worst case scenario <clears throat> taking your own life yeah and um, I'd never been that low in my life ever my son was um, at home he was 16 at the time and it was only that he rang me and said what's for dinner that it's kind of snapped me out of that thought process and being a single mum, I knew that he needed me. So I, I, I went home, but, um, I woke up at three o'clock in the morning cause I, obviously I wasn't sleeping very well at that point in time yeah. and thought, what do I do? And then I thought, oh, I keep people safe on social. And so I typed in safeonsocial.com and the URL was available. I had $68 in my bank account at the time. That was it. That's all I had left wow. after spending every cent on lawyers and things. I'd raided my superannuation twice to keep my house. You know, it was just a complete disaster. Um, So with that $68, I spent 15 on um, registering that that URL. I spent another $36 or whatever 
on um, registering the business name, I had 21 bucks left in my bank account to feed my child and my dog until I got some work. I rang um, one of the local principals, Peter King, at, at Byron High. He's now the executive principal out at Griffith for all of the schools in that region. He's a fantastic man. And I said to him, I said, I've never met him. I introduced myself and I said, look, I'm from Byron. I'm friends with parents of a load of the kids that go to your school. So, you know, big cybersecurity background. Do you want me to come in and talk to them about how to do this better from a cybersecurity perspective? I think I could empower them. And he said that he didn't want me to speak to the kids at that point because they'd actually had someone pull out of the far North Coast Regional Principals Conference and would I like to speak at that in a week and a half. Wow. And so I did and there was t around 24 principals there. I've worked with 21 of them ever since. That was six years ago. So all of those schools which are, you know, Byron High to Richmond River, Moreland Bar, yeah. all of the schools in Lismore, all of those sorts of things, they, they've booked me every year ever since and it just went from there and I've, I've – just been flat out bookings till 2024 since. So you were educating the principals about mm. the dangers of cyber safety. Um, what or, to do better. Or, I, okay. I don't, for their schools? Yeah, for their, their kids. I don't, yeah. I don't come from a fear position. I come from a position of um, understanding how it works because my career history is deeply steeped in, in cyber security. So I understand how all of that information is collated and used by businesses and things because I was part of the team that used to sell the solutions together, that kind of stuff. So I, I understand it from a consulting and business background. So my work is around educating people to do it better. So when I walk into a room full of students, I say, I'm not here to say don't. I'm not your mum and dad. I'm here to show you how to do this a whole lot better, whether that be working through their phones to make sure certain parts of location services are switched off, understanding the law around bullying, sexting, child exploitation material, all of that sort of stuff. I go end to end. So that's how you got into schools in the first place. And so you were talking initially to principals, but then that also then extended to the kids themselves in, yeah. in, a, in a group setting. Yeah. Uh, but then also I assume parents uh, as well. Yeah, so I work with kindy to grade 12. So it's it's funny seeing little tiny ones, but we have to now. Kindy are in this stuff? Yeah, yeah. So they, you know, the AFP through their Th Think You Know program start working with kids as young as four in daycare centres because a lot of them are handed an iPad and they're looking at YouTube and they can see stuff that they probably don't want to see like there's a lot of porn and things that come up for kids that young because of parents not knowing how to set parental controls on, on YouTube and things. So, you know, when with the little ones, we talk about keeping personal information private. What is your personal information? And they all put up the hang on my name, my school, you know, they all know, but we have to remind them of this stuff. And then we step it up as we, as we, we go. And then, you know, when I hit high school, I do a, a, a general kind of presentation around, what to do and what not to do and how to use it better, how to set themselves up for a positive digital footprint. And then by the time they hit year 11 and 12, I teach them how to clean up any mess that they may have created and then how to use apps like LinkedIn and things to their advantage or like following people in industries that they want to go into. Stuff. So it's really an awareness. I mean, you're not saying totally. don't use the platforms. You're saying use it, but there's a way to use it safely. That's right. Well, don'ts never worked teenagers in the history no. of forever so we have to teach them how to use it better not yeah. not, not to use it at all because that's just not going to happen is there do you feel like kids are getting access to these platforms from too young an age yes i mean the age of four yeah. uh but you're right when you think about a youtube you don't really think about that as a i mean but we're not just talking about cyberbullying here no we're talking about predators online correct uh, loads of them and so give us some examples of, of that sort of stuff. Like, I mean, because as, as someone that has kids myself, you mm. sort of think, how, how would it be possible that's, that a kid that's online that can get groomed for this stuff? Yeah, well, it happens in the blink of an eye, actually. So the things to watch out for, I'll start with YouTube. Um, the things to watch out for YouTube is like never, ever sit your child in the corner with an iPad and let them just watch YouTube because the way that it works is hashtags – 
And hashtag searches, okay? So if someone tags a video, we've all heard of the ones like um, ISIS beheadings and things popping up in two minutes into a Peppa Pig video. We call them an Elsa gate because the first one that popped up in around 2016, 2017 was Elsa from Frozen would pop up in the middle of a video and it was evil Elsa that would lick a knife and then disappear. And so a whole heap of little kids were getting completely freaked out where if parents knew to switch off or switch on, I should say, restricted mode on that, like the parental control, it would filter out a lot of that content. And if they switch off autoplay, it's not dragging in the next video according to hashtags. So it's a lot safer. So people were manipulating those videos yes. and put in embedding <clears throat> things in there themselves. Yes. To, to yeah. yeah. It just wow blows my mind some of the creepy stuff that can happen online for no other reason but to scare children and things like that. But, you know, and then I guess the, the, the grooming one is the terrifying one. And we, we see that at extraordinarily young ages. And it's usually when they get moved from platform to platform. So a couple where I've been involved and because kids disclose a lot to me. I come into a school, I'm seen to be an outsider. It's like, remember when you had a um, prac teacher and they were like the, the cool in teacher. Yeah, the yeah, cool yeah. teacher because you kind of knew that they were okay because they weren't part of that bigger picture full time that you were terrified of. Yeah. And a lot of kids are scared of that system still in a lot of cases. So I'll walk into a school and they'll go Bleh, and tell me everything. And, you know, I had one situation recently which has really stuck in my head and I've, you know, obviously I can't name people or anything, but I can tell you what happened, which was a 10-year-old a girl after a, a session, she may have even been nine, I think, came up to me and said that she'd met a friend on that little game called Roblox, which a lot of little kids play. It's like Minecraft, but the online version has a chat room. Uh. So they can be chatting to anybody around the world. And so this little girl said to me, I was chatting to my friend from America and I said, how do you know that it's your friend? And she said, oh, we've been playing Roblox together for quite some time. And I said, yes, and? And she said, and he said that, and I just, I could feel what was coming. And this tiny little thing has then proceeded to tell me that this person wanted to put a certain part of his anatomy in her mouth when they eventually got to meet. And she was like, she knew that something was up. And I said to her, have you told your mum and dad? And she said, oh, no, 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 because they'll ban me from the game. Uh, and that's what happens. Parents tend to – so that went to punish. the police obviously, but that's the biggest issue that I see with kids is they're too scared to speak up because they think they're going to be banned from their device or banned from the game, which they love, and especially during COVID – We've had millions of kids where that's the only contact that they've yeah. got with their friends. And that's really important when you're a child or a, or a teen. Your friends are everything. And so they just flat out don't tell them yeah. what's going on. And then this kind of behavior gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And, you know, people like John Rouse that heads the Child Exploitation Unit now for the AFP was with um, – he was with Task Force Argos out of Queensland Police and still is for – Forever. I don't know how the man does his job. He's incredible. But his team are the one that investigate that stuff. They're the ones online pretending to be 13-year-old girls to catch these people and stuff. I don't, I don't know how they do their jobs. But they just are going unheard because parents are just not taking it seriously. They're letting kids use these apps far, far too young. Most of them have an – like it's not a law. It's an age recommendation guideline. So they're never going to get charged and they can use the app with parental permission. But as a parent, you really need to be there yeah. and understand the app, understand how they can be talking to their mm. kids and be as actively involved in their online life as you are off because otherwise they just come in from the most ridiculous angles that you would never pick up. And is it predominantly international? Like Yeah. Well, this this girl – the end of that story was when she told me that she said that he asked to talk to her on TikTok. And I went, oh, what was happening on TikTok? I just asked her a couple of questions about it. And she said, oh, you know, because I sent him videos. And I said, does he send videos to you? And she said, oh, no, because his camera's broken. Uh, and like a little one would never see that that was Gee. quite clearly something really, 
really bad happening that had to get the police involved straight away. But the, you know, it's that moving them from one platform to another, Sam. So this started on Roblox. Yeah. But if they have met somebody online who says, oh, come and follow me on TikTok. And as soon as they follow them on TikTok, they follow each other back. It opens up that free chat section where they can be sharing video with each other. And that's when it gets really, really sinister. It just, I mean, it just makes you furious that you think this stuff goes on. But obviously, I mean, on a typical day-to-day, you wouldn't, like you're just not conscious of this stuff no, happening. But no. uh, I know in somewhere on your program you also talk about they start with wanting a photo of their feet. Yeah. Uh, and then that then goes to other areas obviously that they're chasing. Yeah, so that one's come up a lot. Uh, the first time it ever happened was two girls in grade five said that they'd been asked for photos of their feet by someone who was saying and had found out so much information about them because he, they hadn't had their Instagram account set to private. Uh, he knew where they went to school because of school uniform photos, you know, the bus that they caught, all of that sort of stuff. So pretended to know them and little girls of that age will – and it's like, you know, I'm Joe. And they go, oh, Joe Smith. You know, they don't ask the right yeah. questions and assume and trust people. They're kids. That's yeah. what they do. So then he'd say, you know, can you show me a photo of your feet? And this little girl, because she responded with WTF, was too scared to tell her parents, again, for fear of having her device removed. And when that happens, it's usually show me a photo of your feet and then it moves up. so to speak. So there's a lot of ways that they can come in and, you know, we do hear about it a lot and they're reported either like straight back to the school under full disclosure and then the school escalates it or if it's really bad, we'll just call the police straight away while I'm at the school. So so as a result of those fortuitous, I guess, those incidents where you were able to go and speak and then Mm. your business, I guess, has grown from there, Mm -hmm. the demand is out there. So even though we've got – Great educational, well, I assume we have some educational programs out there that are quite good in this space. Do you feel like it's getting better or it's getting worse? Staying the same. Staying the same. If not a little bit worse. Um, Probably worse at the moment because there's been so many kids online. The stats have escalated dramatically in this space apparently. So the blogs that I've been reading by the eSafety Commissioner and stuff are all around being very, very cautious around predatory behaviour. Yes. And, and I mean, when you think years ago when, you know, our parents, uh, parents, when they were growing up, they didn't have, no. when they had the bullying that was face to face probably and, and, you know, people, um, I'm sure they still had kid snatchers out there and that sort of thing. Yeah. But, but now with this online world, it's something that seems to follow us wherever we go. Mm-hmm. We can't escape it. We're getting access to it at, at a young age. What's the hope for the future? Where do you see it going? Education's key. Like this is why I'm pivoting the business slightly to do, like I'll continue to work with a lot of the schools that I already work with, but I'm really, really focused on training adults. Um, I think parents need to understand more. Professionals need to know more on how this space works and how this stuff can be stopped because it can be. And it's all around education and awareness, but it's en masse and as long as we have parents that are letting kids using things from as young as possible and then we'll have, you know, I've had so many situations where two little girls will be sharing an account on TikTok because one of them's parents won't let her use it. So she goes to school and the friend shares a password and they're using an account both pretending to be that one person. So a parent thinks that they've got it under control but nine times out of ten when I hear that and the amount of times I've heard, oh, my kid's really good, they yeah. wouldn't do anything like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, because they do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about that education that needs to be continuous. And with the aspects of gaming, uh, I mean, that's, again, is that predatory behavior, predatory um, security problems there? Is it more, is it the grooming side? Is it bullying? Is it all the above? All of the above. But, okay. again, it's it's – understanding the risk there's always going to be risk there is no safe apps and there is no safe gaming it comes down to how you use it so if there's education in place to know what is right and what is wrong and how to engage online safely and things like I'm a massive supporter of esports and gaming tech and things like that because kids can go on to have huge careers in that space now and there's a whole heap of jobs coming up like you know my 
nephew wants to be a YouTuber, you know? So it's like, cause that's like equivalent to him as, you know, when I was his age, it'd be me being on the television, you yeah. know, it's exactly the same thing. So they all want to be YouTubers or whatever. So there's great opportunity, but we have to really steep it in that um, education around cybersecurity and cyber safety and well-being and how they all bolt in together. You can't really have one without the other anymore. And you mentioned that well-being is something that's never really – do you feel like it's being considered uh, when you're looking at children online, parents online? I mean, we know it can impact it, but the extent that this is happening now uh, from depression, anxiety, um, and you've seen that firsthand mm-hmm. – People taking their own their own lives, uh, kids, body image, mm-hmm. um, body shaming, uh, eating disorders are all coming from this. Yeah, I mean, it, how do you feel like it's? I mean, definitely, I see an increase in anxiety issues from it because they are, you know, one of the tips that I give in my parent talks and in the Safe on Social toolkit is around not letting devices in the bedroom and the bathroom. Because that's where the bad stuff happens. That's where the photos they take in the mirror and they start to compare themselves to other people. Or they're laying in bed bored and they're scrolling through thousands of images on Instagram that are edited. They don't really exist. They're a showreel of someone's life. And, you know, as someone who's almost 50, like when I was 13... Dolly magazine was thrown in my general direction once a month. That's what my grandmother subscribed me to that for my 13th birthday. And so I had to deal with not looking like Sarah O'Hare or Elle McPherson or any of those once a month. Now, kids now have got that 24-7 and we're seeing it equally with young boys as well as young girls. So, you know, I know even in my local gym, I'll go into the gym sometimes and there's these tiny little weedy little 13-year-old, 14-year-old boys in there, there's no way they're going to make massive muscle, but they're in there trying to do it because, again, it's that body image stuff that's yeah. bombarded on a daily basis. That and being online too much. I've got a couple of very dear friends that suffer from full-on anxiety and I've actually said, have you thought about putting your phone away for a bit? Because while you're documenting your whole life online, you, it's just oh, that constant noise. You're not living the real life. No, and I think that's <clears throat> where the education needs to change there's been great cyber safety stuff and great well digital well-being stuff happening in separate silos for a long time and I think they need to be joined together. They mm. really do because we can't have one without the other anymore. No. Just can't. No, 100%. And so do you, th- do you feel like um, – so the future, whilst there's more platforms coming out, mm-hmm. there is educational areas out there. There's still a way to go. Yeah. Do you feel uh, – if we just focus on the kids, for, in- for instance – with parents um, needing more awareness and education, do you feel like kids of the future uh, are at greater risk uh, and and do you feel like things need to change uh, in order to try and mitigate that? Yeah. So kids get stacks of this kind of education in schools, whether it's from the local youth liaison officer who's self-trained and often knows a lot about this stuff because they're the younger police officer. There's a good chance that they had some of this education while they were still in school. There's people like me. There's teachers doing great work through curriculum staff or whatever. I don't think kids are the issue. I think it's the problem is here with parents and teachers and frontline health workers and all of that that don't fully understand this world need a load of education to be there when something goes wrong or to be able to identify that a child has some anxiety issues, they might be depressed, they might be whatever and how that's all kind of fitting in with their online life as well as their offline life. And I think that's what's missing is that education of adults to eliminate the fear. So a friend of mine who's a cyber psychologist, Jocelyn Brewer, and I have spoken at a number of times, you know, there's always this hysteria around screen time. Well, define screen time, you know. The amount of time people spend on the screens. Yeah, and because it's very different. So screen time, like would you have an issue if it was a book? Yet someone sitting there reading on a Kindle, that's actually classified screen time. So there's, it's not, it's all around that education on what it actually is that we still have a lot of work to do. Yeah. And certainly the education awareness of how to use them safely, but also 
of the rights that are out there. So the updated with the laws and what's keeping yeah. abreast with what's happening with that. Um, it's loads of work. Like I've got one one of my favourite schools to work at is a, a little Catholic school in Wangaratta in Victoria, St Bernard's. I go in there every single year. I've been there for four years straight and every single year their staff do six hours of training with me every single time I'm there. So they're probably the most up-to-date school in this space because yeah. they they constantly have me training their staff, their principal and deputy. If there's an issue at the school, call me for advice all the time. Um, I go in and I talk to the kids every year and then we always end up with like 80 to 100 parents as well every single night that I speak there. So it's just that you know they've mm. embraced it as a community they do everything possible that they have to and they keep abreast of things through you know subscriptions to resources that are produced all of that sort of stuff so they are way ahead of what's going on so you're saying it's not so much the time they're on the screen but rather what they're doing when on they're the on the screen. screen correct and if we look because we're seeing you know parents as this generation is going through who have grown up now mm-hmm. with social media uh, how do you think that's going to impact them? Uh, and and if their kids are looking at their parents, yeah, uh, because they're now coming through as being on the phone, on Facebook, posting every part of their life. Yep. I mean, is uh, what sort of example is that? I've actually written about this. I think we have a whole lost generation, so to speak. What I call first generation MySpace. So f- friends of mine, kids who are you know twenty seven to thirty one. I know all of this stuff, mum, because, you know, I used MySpace and they think they know it all. And now that they've all become parents, a lot of them have got five-year-olds and things like that, they're the ones that don't turn up to cyber safety talks and things because they think they know everything in it, forgetting that they never had any education in it at school. Their parents didn't know how to guide them. And so we have this whole generation now that are becoming parents that we're going to have a worse case than what we have right now I think over the next 10 years as they all be, their kids start primary school and stuff that they mm. they think they're across everything but they weren't educated at all so it's it's still a bit of a mess plus there's probably that mindset that it, well it won't happen to me I mean because I know that we have you know um tr- toying with technology with kids I mean you sort of say okay well if you know our four-year-old can watch Peppa Pig on an iPad on YouTube and he goes away, sits in the corner and does it. I mean, last thing, even though we, YouTube's been around for some time yeah. and we've all seen videos on it and you haven't had a bad experience, you just trust that that's the same experience that they're having, even though you know the platform, mm. definitely not thinking about, well, hang on, what video? And and because of the... Just switch off autoplay. Yeah. I, I mean, say. it's just, it's, it's just yeah. alarming, and isn't look, it? Looking for the verified channel, knowing how to do that. Like there's verified yeah. by YouTube on, you know, there's all sorts of things that you can look out for. It's just knowing what to look for and how to do it better. And the number of platforms just keep coming. Uh, like you said, a year and a half for TikTok, uh, even though it was called something else, yep. to get you know, potentially a lot closer to Facebook with those numbers. I mean, it's just amazing how quickly. Uh, and there's the spin-off apps. Like when an app is successful, you'll find 50,000 of them appear that are similar. So there was another one that came out a few months ago called Likey, L-I-K-E-E. And when you looked at it, it's just scraping videos off TikTok. So there's screen recording on TikTok and putting them onto this one that has no security at all. So the people that are on TikTok that haven't got their account set to private – wouldn't even realise that their video is being recorded and shared and on another platform and it's often little girls dancing around their bedrooms and things like that. So it's that kind of stuff that you can't – the average human can't possibly keep across mm. all of it so that you need to have constant education. And what sort of hope is there? I mean, let's go back to the gro- the international um, people potentially grooming kids. Mm-hmm. What – what can happen? What can come of that? If you know that your kid's doing that and someone in America somewhere is doing this, I mean, really, is there any repercussions? Oh, absolutely. Like John, perpetrators? Yeah, yeah. The Australian Federal Police can track them down and is, they do. And they liaise with the foreign country? Correct, with Interpol. Like there's huge inter-country. Like, oh, wow, that's great. Australia does a lot of work with the Canadian Police Force through what they call Project Arachnid where they were identifying child exploitation material and that online. Because I think the biggest mistake, or I shouldn't call it a mistake, the bit, biggest 
misinformation out there is people assume that a predator is looking for photos of naked children. Like, so they're like, oh, I'm not posting photos of my kid in the bath or their undies or anything like that. 100%. I can tell you right now that with some of the bigger busts that I've heard of, they're not looking for photos of naked kids. They're just looking for photos of kids. And half the time these guys have just got servers full of children, fully clothed, Yeah. all of that. And it's just, it's just that. It's not mm. necessarily naked, blah, what you'd assume was the yeah. thing. It was, it's just children. And, you know, being shared around with like the networks of, you know, it's online and off at the same time. So where a child lives, like all of that personal information that can come into play and ends up on the dark web, it's, it's uh, you know, pretty hideous. Scary, isn't it? Yeah, it is scary. And it's not going away. And, you know, I've heard of a million horror stories. I from police, from people that I work alongside, from my peers and colleagues in this space. And, you know, every year when John Rouse speaks at the e-safety commissioner's office, like if you've ever seen him on a current affair or something like that, mind-blowing stuff where he's literally had videos of little girls, you know, in the bathroom that they've found in these networks being convinced to do certain things by by pedophiles. They're seven years old and you can hear their mother calling them down for dinner. Like... Wouldn't even have a clue what's going on in the bathroom. It makes you sick. Yeah. So I guess thinking back to it then, I mean, if uh, there is hope that you can actually catch predators that you may not even know where they are, mm. but by notifying the police and going correct. down the correct routes, there is actually a way that these people can actually get... Absolutely. Um, and the police that work in this space do an incredible job. Yeah. I can't think of how you could look at that stuff day in, day out. And that's no. what they do. But, uh, you know, there's... I know the main ones, New South Wales, it's called Task Force Trawler. Um, Argos in Queensland, uh, they're the two main ones that I know about, but um, they're they're in every state. And then there's the AFP Mm. over the top of that who do an incredible job in their child exploitation units. I've worked alongside them in most states of Australia. But, you know, just notifying them. And, you know, uh, there's still sometimes people are a bit concerned that main might not be happening and they're a bit unsure or whatever like that, but report it. You're never going to get in trouble for speaking up. Like that's what I say to kids. Tell us when something's going wrong. You are never going to get in trouble for speaking up about this stuff. And parents need to remember that too because occasionally I'll have parents call me and say, oh, I was going to do this but I'm scared I'm going to report it the wrong way. You can't not report yeah. it the right way. Just report it, whether it's through Crime Stoppers or that if you go into the local police station, always ask for a victim event number. So you've got a number that correlates to the statement that's been made so you can follow it up, you know, all those little things. We have, uh, with our association, obviously a lot of mental health professionals. What's, what's the big message for them? What's the message, you know, as people that potentially are coming to them to seek help with anxiety, depression, is it more the awareness and the education behind you know, what's really happening out there? Is yeah, it absolutely. Is it? Stay educated. Keep yeah. up with it. You need to be on this all the time. Like refresher courses, do everything that you can to be right across it because it's changing at lightning pace and there is that direct correlation between online, you know, and off. Mental health is the thing that joins yeah. both of them. And even for workplaces, uh, you mentioned before that the employer uh, is responsible for creating the safe work environment. That's correct. Um, online and off. Online and off. Yep. And so making sure the key message to them would be to similar. Yep. Stay educated. Get people in to talk to your staff. Do train, like all of it. You've just mm. got to be educated. And there's a lot of people out there that can offer that like really good high level and target it down to your organisation. You know, there's different laws for different things. If you own a bar, for example, you know, in some states yeah. you can't ever post videos of people drinking shots and things like that. So it's against the law and you could lose your license. So it's understanding yeah. how it works in different industry sectors. So you have to be careful about who you choose to come in and do the presentation and make sure they understand the laws associated with your particular industry. Mm. And then that's someone that's got a good grasp on the well-being side as well as the cyber safety side. And similar for principals as well of schools. I mean, ultimately, they've got to make sure they're creating a, a culture that's yep. uh, a safe environment <clears throat> for them to use online. 
platforms? Yeah, schools are pretty well across it because they've known yeah. for quite some time now that it fits into their world because they're often, um, you know, bring your own device to school, all of those kinds of things that, you know, a child is using technology at school, after school for homework, all of those things. So it does fit into a school's duty of care. Mm-hmm. So they have to be very aware and up to date on what's going on there too. Tell us about what the future holds for you, Kira. Designing a lot more training at the moment. So, yeah. A lot more training um, as, you know, restrictions are relaxed. Obviously, hoping to get back out there and yeah. and do a bit more face-to-face. And webinars. So, webinars yep. work a lot, especially in regional and remote communities where there can be some really big issues about this. I've worked in some very, very remote and regional communities that have huge problems around um, suicide and bullying and things, you know, on off the back of the drought, a lot of, you know, regional Australia got really affected and that was online and off too. So I think designing training that has a lot of wellbeing tips and things in it as well as the cyber safety and cyber security is where I'm working. So you're finding those areas are really critical to get out to, the remote Indigenous um, yeah. populations and... yeah. Any regional and remote communities. So yep. I work, I think the smallest school that I've worked in has had nine students um, in Western New South Wales, deep in the Riverina. Wow. Um, and, you know, the biggest I've had is 3,200. So everywhere in between, same issues, mm. you know, wealthy big schools in Sydney compared to mm. tiny, tiny little schools where I've literally presented in a in a not much more than a tin shed so you know and everything in between but I'm working more with um, community leaders so you know another place that I love to work and I go there every year is up in the Bowen Basin in central Queensland and it's not uncommon for the the local mayor the domestic violence support workers the youth support workers psychologists all of the frontline mental health workers and primary care health professionals all turn up to my parent sessions. So they're getting refresher information from that. So designing more courses to suit them is, is definitely something that I'm working on. Who's a major source of inspiration for you? Is there anyone in particular? Is there a couple of people that you're looking up to? Is there... In this space? Well, in, in life, it could be in this space, professional related, it could be... Well, now you're putting me on the spot. There's so many. Um, yeah, is there anyone that's had a really key influence uh, on, on where you are or a key inspiration or any great books even that you've read that you, th- that you can recommend to people? Oh, look, honestly, if you saw my bookshelf, <laughs> I can't just go yeah, for yeah. One, one, no, that's okay. one person. But yeah, look, that's a really tough question because there's a lot of um, incredible academics in yeah. in this space that I've been fortunate to meet. There's like um, one woman that I adore is, um, her name's Parry Aftab. She's a Canadian woman that started the very, very first of like the cyber safety and law and stuff like that. And I was fortunate to meet her a couple of years ago. But, you know, my inspiration is actually completely left field to cyber safety. I, I really admire some business people that do things differently, like, Yvonne Chouinard from Patagonia is a dear, yeah. dear family friend of mine and he's shaped a lot of the way that I do things because I don't – my business isn't focused on making money. It's all about ha- making Purpose. a difference. Yeah. And that's that's sort of – he wrote a great book called Let My People Go Surfing. So anyone that works for him, if the surf's good, they go surfing first and then they work later, you know, all of – so I've – modeled my whole business on that. So the people that do work for me as subcontractors often have kids, they have other work that they're doing. And, you know, as long as I get mine done by when, when it needs to be done, it all kind of works. So that's, I lean more towards that because the sector that I work in, to be blunt, changes every single day. So, yes, there is a whole lot of academia and stuff out Mm. there in this space and that's, you know, incredible research that I use parts of. But being a person that's at the coalface and actually talking to thousands of children a week and hearing firsthand what's happening and then sometimes that doesn't correlate to research that was published two years ago or something because there's new apps and there's this and that. So it's a constant, so it's hard just to pick one person but I kind of pick yeah. bits 
That's really interesting. Uh, yeah. I'd be interested to see if any employees turned up to Patagonia in the last couple of weeks, given how good the surf's been. But uh, <laughs> in, oh, in America, the the main ones are, but here, are they? I, I, uh, I doubt What a great it. company, though. I know, incredible. Um, and, Very fortunate. And, and a great example, you know, of, of someone following their purpose and staying true to their values. Yeah, well, I... Uh, was, I'm fortunate to like I've stayed with Melinda and Yvonne they've come out and stayed here my parents place in Byron they've all been my auntie real son was the first woman on the um, you know the female professional surfing oh. circuit Hawaiian lady and uh, so I've known all of those for for 30 years so they've been an incredible influence on my life Rel was the biggest influence on my life I left Sydney when I was 23 for a little while and was kind of you know a classically partying too much 23 year old and went and stayed with her in Hawaii for oh. um seven six or seven weeks I think it was where um she had no money you know we used to go out the back of her place and snorkel to catch lunch every day and it, it just changed my world completely oh. so you know I think we're lucky to have people that come in that you least expect playing massive influences and you know some of the people that I've met lately that are that for me are like Jocelyn Brewer for example yeah. and seeing her thinking as a woman that's you know quite a few years younger than me she's a cyber psychologist and thinking about the way that she positions all of this space has had a, a big impact on the way that I look at this this world as well so I think we're, we're always got people that will influence and change things. And what's the biggest reason you do what you do? Like, why, why do you? Uh, I mean, obviously, you've had an experience in this that that really affected and impacted your life. Yeah. Um, is what's the quest? What's the? Yeah, I guess there was initially it was the the how it happened to me, and it was yeah. because it was someone that, that I trusted Im- implicitly. Um, but since then, it's been. The thousands of little eyes that look at me yeah. as if, as a oh that lady's here to help us and I can see it and I can see the impact that I have on a daily basis that that keeps me going because at the same time you get some you know upper uppercuts and you know you can't I can say things but I can't make them hear it or I don't know how they've heard it and so sometimes things go a bit wrong but most of the times it's a hundred percent right and um kids are something that i've always been involved with in my life whether it was mentoring them in photography or or whatever so just trying to make the world a better place really sounds like every every parent's problem uh we can say things and we can't make (laughs) the kids hear it but uh obviously you must have an act with it and uh i mean it must be really truly rewarding to be working in such a, an important space. Um, yeah, it is most of the time, but sometimes, you know, there's the crushing lows. Like when you hear mm. things like I explained before about that 10-year-old yeah. little girl, you don't forget it. You can't yeah. unhear stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I see too much. And like, uh, unfortunately, I've seen things that in my little, you know, to I'll be blunt, privileged white female background growing up in a place like Byron Bay and having an incredibly stable home life with parents that are still together and still surf every day in their 70s you know all of those kinds of things and then I go into towns where I say oh god she's a gorgeous little thing and then someone will say yep she's been in different foster care home every three months since she was two Mm. she's 11 we can't place her so she's staying in a hotel down the road you know and being made aware of just how tough it is out there for some makes me drives me to want to make more of a difference where I can. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's incredible. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I just just last thing I just want to ask you, I know because I know you have some hobbies. So you have photography. Yeah, I'm a photographer. Yeah, for fortunately, I have the the best job in the world with that, where I shoot all the major music festivals here in in Byron, have been for years. Wow. Yeah. It's every person's dream, I it guess. It is to a be dream. The amount of people that want to carry my kit to yeah. Blues Fest or Falls or whatever is pretty crazy. They'd probably <laughs> disappear pretty quickly once you got in those gates, <laughs> I reckon. <laughs> yeah, I've been um, – the first person I ever photographed musically was Iggy Pop in 1989 at the Patch in Coolangatta when I was 19 years old. So it's been a passion. I put down my camera for a long time becoming a mum myself and um, having a big corporate career, but um, – Got back into it about 15 years ago now. And, yeah, I was out this morning taking photos. 
Yeah. It's meditation for me. Uh, my wife randomly showed me a photo of uh, a great sunset the other night on Saturday night, I think it was. She said, I told you it was a good sunset with the colours and everything. And then she showed me this photo. I said, oh, that's, that's, that's Kara. <laughs> uh, so you're obviously doing a great job. The, the photos look amazing. Um, where can people go to get in touch with you? Uh, safeonsocial.com. Or if uh, I also have a, a parenting program online, which is the Safe on so- it's actually safeonsocialtoolkit.com. But either one, you'll see it. Okay, and you do uh, online education platforms. We also do speaking at events, yep. corporates, wh- whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, I do can... everything from I've done – the cutest one I've ever done was the CWA in country New South Wales with 12 nanas teaching them so how they could use Facebook better so they could keep in touch with their kids, as their grandkids, um, all the way through to 3,500-plus at conferences, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, it's, uh, I mean, it's evident that you're such, uh, you're on an inspirational journey and um, what you've been through, <clears throat> whilst, you know, it was obviously a struggle and a challenge, what you've done as a result is truly inspiring and you're an incredible woman and keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Thanks, Kira. Thanks. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.